everyone. Welcome to The Medical Matrix. I'm your host, Dr. Rosie Sender, and I'm here with a guest co-host today, uh, my good friend, Brianna Grofchuk. Hi, I'm Brie Grofchuk. I'm a trauma and extremities rep for Stryker Orthopedics and also a former breastfeeding mother. So I thought she'd be a perfect guest host uh, on this particular episode because we are uh, talking about a uh, company, an innovative company called Biomilk, and it's a company that produces human milk for babies. So um, who we we are honored to have uh, Dr. Layla Strickland on with us, who is uh, the chief scientific officer and co-founder of the company. Welcome, uh, Layla. How are you? Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, we're, well, we're grateful for you for coming on. Um, so why don't we get started on, um, tell us a little bit about your background um, and, the, and the company as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I am uh, trained as a cell biologist. My background is is in uh, as a researcher is always focused on sort of the spatial coordination of cellular processes. And so um, I have a, a PhD uh, from Boston College, and then spent about four years as a postdoctoral fellow uh, at Stanford University, and that's really where I I cut my teeth on uh, mammalian cell culture, um, really trying to understand how cells uh, coordinate themselves in space and time in communities to accomplish uh, various aspects of their of their behavior. And um, so, you know, this was all very basic science, uh, just really trying to understand the fundamentals of cell biology. Um, and as I was finishing up my postdoctoral fellowship, I uh, really in it, 2009-2010 is when I uh, became a mother for the first time and delivered my son in the fall of 2009. Um, and really at the time was was quite taken aback by the challenges I encountered with the, the process of breastfeeding. Um, had always, I think, taken for granted that this is how I would choose to feed my, my own children um, and hadn't uh, really been very well prepared for uh, just the, the the kinds of difficulties that can come up in that process, which I now understand to be uh, quite common, if not universal, no matter no matter how the the no matter what outcome you have with it, it's I don't I haven't talked to a single person who's ever just said it was a piece of cake. So I felt like you know at the time though I really didn't know I had done all the things that you do uh, when when I was expecting my first I was very excited to become a mother and. Uh, taken all the parenting classes and thought a lot about the delivery and how I was going, wanting to give birth and um, meet my meet my child. And um, so it just was uh, was surprising when breastfeeding really didn't didn't get, get off to a good start. I didn't produce enough milk. Um, and and I think just fell back to how I how I try to solve problems in the world, which is uh, go into the peer reviewed scientific literature and see what anybody else knows about this. And so I spent a lot of time, um, you know, especially on my maternity leave, reading about milk production and came to understand it as a a cellular process that was actually controlled by a lot of the the um, the mechanisms that I was already well familiar with as a researcher. 
And so that was kind of the, the very beginning of, of an idea um, that, you know, at the time, maybe other people were starting to talk about making meat from cultured muscle cells or, you know, some of these 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 this world of synthetic biology was starting to open up and it was starting to look like um, a pretty interesting time to be a cell biologist as people were starting to think about um, using, using cells as an actual production system. And so that kind of was, was fertile ground for starting to think about, um, if this is a cellular process, uh, we know a lot about how to grow cells outside the body and turn them into models so we can understand their physiology in the body. And, you know, maybe you could grow this particular cell in a way that would let you collect the product that it makes. And it was really, you know, that was the simple idea where it started, um, kind of, kind of sat in my mind for a long time, um, through kind of some career transitions as I finished up my postdoc, um, my family relocated to North Carolina, um, I was working in, in academic publishing for a while and scientific communications and, um, my husband at the time uh, and I both just had an, were kind of begin came increasingly enamored with this possibility and uh, but didn't really know how to get it off the ground or or who to approach or how to be yeah. pitching it or proposing it. You know, that's a whole other skill set. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, you know, we kind of just rolled up our sleeves and purchased a little bit of lab equipment and leased some space. Um, the Research Triangle Park is actually a really supportive environment for very tiny, tiny or operations like what I had in mind yeah. and um, started culturing these mammary cells just to just to learn how they grow and maybe generate some early data and just to get get my hands wet with it. And, uh, that, that was something I was able to kind of maintain. Um, it's kind of, I wouldn't say I was working on it full time for the most part, very, very part-time, but I was doing work that gave me the flexibility to be able to, to be in this little lab growing cells and looking at them. And, um, and it, it, putting that time towards it really helped to solidify sort of what a system would need to look like if in order to produce milk outside the body. Mm -hmm. And um, that idea just kind of sat sort of just nestled <laughs> in my brain for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually I would say uh, th this, this field overall move forward well enough that the audience became pretty receptive and their, their, an appetite grew, we could say for the possibility of making these kinds of products outside the body. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was 2019 when I was introduced to my co-founder, Michelle Ager by a mutual friend of ours. And, um, and she brought uh, a whole suite of just skills and connections that all that business, all, all the business background, um, as well as her own, um, a degree in food science and uh, and some connections to the broader world of maternal and infant health, and uh, we we kind of just fit together like puzzle pieces, and um, uh, we're both kind of just just fell very naturally into it. We worked on a grant application a little bit together, and that cemented our working relationship. And from there, um, things really started to to snowball quickly <laughs> as they do. And we just try to hold on. Okay. And, um, so really we formally incorporated biomilk early in 2020. Yeah. And, uh, since then have, uh, have grown to a team of uh, about 20 people now. Right. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's been quite a ride. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, it's it's amazing how so many uh, ideas for companies really just they come out of a need, right? And yes. so you went through your own personal experience of you know lactation difficulties, and then now here we are a few years yeah. later, and you come up with such an innovative idea to try to help fix the problem. So I think I think that's uh, that's amazing. And you know, one of the things I did want to ask you is like, so I, I understand your like the idea and inspiration and you know, where it came from. But so can you maybe run through the process, for example, yeah. on, on how you're producing this biomilk and, and, yeah. you know, and start off like, where are the mammary epithelial cells coming from and, yeah. and the culture <laughs> that is being used? That's, that was the first thing I thought of. I was like, oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Great questions. Um, well, so, you know, we are, I always want to make sure we orient the conversation around that, you know, currently we're very much in an R&D stage of this and very much on the R side of the R&D. So we're doing a lot of research. Um, and, and one of our main focuses now is to really develop and optimize the, the inputs for the process. Um, that's really where a lot of the novelty and the innovation is, um, is finding out which are the right cells and how do you need to treat them in order to get them to perform well in this process. And so, you know, as you've um, intuited, the, the process starts with this cell. It's called the mammary epithelial cell. It's a cell that lives inside the mammary gland and really um, its job in the body is to, to sort of pull nutrients from the mother's blood supply. It undergoes this massive metabolic activation that converts all those precursors and nutrients into the components of milk and then secretes them as milk into the gland until it's removed from the babe, uh, by, by the baby for, for feeding. And um, that is really um, the process that we're trying to replicate outside the body. And so the heart of it, that is this mammary epithelial cell. Um, there aren't, to our knowledge, any really well-developed models, uh, you know, research tools that, that work well for this. Right. And so um, we are underway with um, uh, basically searching for and developing and designing uh, the ideal mammary epithelial cells. So um, it's good timing for this conversation because we have uh, just uh, initiated a, uh, a, a program for donation of breast milk, which is actually a source of cells. A lot of the cellular material in breast milk actually is these cells that have sort of peeled off of the inside of the gland during the nursing process. So you can get living uh, cells out of breast milk. And we think that those may be good candidates for this process. So, um, you know, this is a, a protocol that we've had reviewed ethically by an IRB to uh, make sure that, that, you know, people are really informed about what they're donating to when they, when they provide us with a donation of breast milk um, and understand that, you know, we'll be collecting these cells out of the milk, um, you know, growing them uh, in, in our cell culture system and uh, seeing if we can um, persuade them <laughs> to, to produce milk, basically using a, a series of sort of transitions through our process. And um, so we're kind of just getting up and running with that. And um, additionally, we're also working with some investigators at uh, Duke University okay. to uh, collect mammary tissue from women who are undergoing a breast reduction surgery. Right. Um, and what's interesting is that those are cells coming from a woman who's not currently lactating. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we, we're looking at cells in both of those statuses as, as possible inputs for this process. 
So can I just say, expand a little bit on that? So I think that that's really interesting. And so when, you know, a few uh, years down the line, when you're in the process of, you know, more and more commercializing and it becomes um, something that's readily available, would the idea be that, you know, women could donate their own, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, epithelial tissue, right, to produce their own milk, essentially? Well, I would say, I, I think that's definitely a possibility that we continue and hold open. Um, at this point, you know, the whatever cell, so we haven't reached yet a, a fork in the road where we can exclude that as a possibility. I think that remains remains an open possibility from all of the, the work we've done so far that you, perhaps you could, um, during pregnancy, collect a sample from uh, from an expecting woman or, you know, even, even mammary cells collected from from men could uh, have the same competency potentially and so um, you know or or there's all kinds of of, of examples um, you know if a woman is going to have to undergo a mastectomy or something like that but would like to have some of her cells cryopreserved and frozen yeah. uh, for possible use in this process at a later time that may also be a possibility so all of those kind of very customized um, product opportunities I think um, are are possible uh, future applications but I also think that um, you know biomilk is is really important to Michelle and I to our company as a whole to um, ensure you know, accessibility of the of the benefits of breast milk is really baked into our mission and what we want to do. And so I think um, we are realistic about the fact that in order to make a, a product that can actually um, get into the bellies of more babies <laughs> throughout the world who need it, um, we we are working towards, you know, honing in on really the ideal mo- cell models for producing milk. Maybe there's several of them, you know, to address the needs of a range of populations, but ultimately you're going to need, you know, some kind of a stable sort of of, um, universal donor of uh, or collection of donors that are um, are going to be uh, building the process from okay. for a broader community. That was one of my questions to what the ratio was like if you're able to duplicate these cells um, yeah. for a larger scale or if you need to have cells donated for each yeah production. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of open questions still about how far we can push the process and how much ultimately we can produce uh, from cells contributed by a single donor. Um, you know, there and and you know, it's also an evolving conversation. I would say that depends somewhat on the technology and then somewhat on um, some of the regulatory considerations around what. Uh, what kinds of cellular inputs are are going to be considered suitable for the production of a food product, especially one that's intended to to feed babies. And so, you know, um, and and we always make this careful distinction in this context that, um, you know, the cells we use are not the food product. That's not what, 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 you know, anybody would be eating, but the, the product that comes from them is, and we're still, um, you know, or really just at the beginning of some really interesting conversations with various regulatory bodies around what, uh, what considerations we need to have for all of the inputs for this process to make sure that the product that comes out of it is perfectly safe. And so there will probably be some decision-making that may constrain to some extent, um, you know, how long can we extend the, expand the life, what, what techniques can we use to expand the lifespan of any particular cell in, and um, what are the limits there? So those will, those will create some, some boundaries as well. 
Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, there, there are so many, yeah, that that's, that's actually an interesting point, right? Because yeah. in order to be able to want, want prove that you can do this, make it, but yeah, what, what's the viability of these cells? Like how much can you push right. things? Right. And then right. you're going to have to go through the regulatory processes. I'm assuming like the FDA and all that stuff. So there's, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of different challenges, <laughs> right. <laughs> Obviously to, to absolutely. Um, so I was wondering what would, what is the culture medium? you're using for these cells or can you yeah. talk about that is that because I know it's probably like some of this <laughs> might be more proprietary and you know, uh, absolutely no everybody yeah. these are all things that I think um you know a lot of people have questions about and I like to be able to speak to them yeah. um but uh, yeah a lot I can give you kind of some broad strokes um you know culture medium is definitely something that we're developing we want to use you know uh uh food grade uh, inputs for this process, things that would be acceptable for a food production process. Um, And really, I think I was explaining to someone earlier that the 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 analog, you know, this the cell culture medium is basically analogous to um, a woman's bloodstream. You know, it's what provides all the nutrients and precursors and all the things that the cells are going to take up and turn into milk are going to be coming in through that cell culture medium. And so, um, and and so that's going to include all of the the glucose and sugar that the cells will need to the building blocks, um, amino acids, uh, fatty acids, and then and all the those nutrient precursors for uh, the components of milk, but then also, um, you know, a a fair number of sort of biologically active signaling molecules that help guide the cell behavior and help make sure that the cells are, um, are uh, able to, to maintain themselves throughout the process. Um, And, and all of those things are things that are going to be found in the woman's blood, blood supply during lactation. So we're trying to model our cell culture media on, um, on the, the blood supply of a lactating woman as much as possible. (laughs) That that sounds really complicated. (laughs) (laughs) It's so easy. (laughs) Sounds really easy. Um, Yeah, we were both kind of wondering, um, I know one of the most fascinating things that I learned um, throughout my process was um, the creation of antibodies that are passed through breast milk. Mm -hmm. And so we were wondering, um, is it even possible to try to replicate that? Is that something that you guys are able to look into? It's something that we could definitely look into, but it's actually, it's really an interesting point. It's not something that we're aiming to recreate, at least certainly not right out the bat. I think um, what's so interesting, well, I mean, to to back up a a second, you know, uh, people probably aware that the antibodies found in breast milk are actually, they're made by a whole different type of cell um, and and transported into the milk. And, um, And so, you know, making those cells is not, or making antibodies is not something that that would spontaneously happen in our system. Um, and furthermore, I think that, um, the antibodies that are present in a woman's breast milk are so, um, intimately specific to her particular and current temporal exposures. So whatever, you know, she gets a cold, uh, she could confer some protection to her baby today, uh, based on what she's experiencing in her environment. And so there's a lot of just like, sort of those, the, the, that's not something we can recreate in our, you know, her environment and exposures is not something that we can, uh, can recreate in our 
our lab. And so, um, you know, what we have found from talking to women about our product and getting people's responses to it is that most people, um, uh, most people who would feed a product like this are, um, are really likely to be breastfeeding, um, you know, to a large extent anyway, and would see our product as a way of supplementing that when their baby, um, you know, when, when they can't be there or when they aren't making quite enough milk. Um, and so probably their baby is going to be getting a lot of that passive transfer of antibodies through breastfeeding. Um, mm-hmm. and, and our product is really there to supplement the nutrition. The other thing that I wanted to ask you, uh, as well, um, is apart from the nutritional um, a kind of environment that you're creating for these cells, but what about the hormonal factors? And, yeah. and you know, is, is that something to consider or do you think you can bypass that too? Yeah, no, it's definitely a consideration and we're kind of coming at it from all standpoints and think, you know, there's a lot that, um, we may be able to bypass, um, depending on how much manipulation we end up needing, you know, you can either manipulate the cells to not need a hormonal cue. So normally in the body, the hormone prolactin is what the signal is that switches on lactation. And that's, that's the, the, the hormone that our cells recognize as the signal that, that they should, should make all these wonderful molecules. And um, so currently in our cell culture media, we do use the hormone prolactin to stimulate, um, to stimulate uh, the the process. Um, And I think that's it. There are a lot of sort of um, questions that arise. One is, you know, do, is it important even to try to try to figure out a way to avoid the use of that hormone? It's a normally, we use it at similar levels to what occur in the circulation of a lactating woman. Um, And it is, it's, so it's a normal part of lactation in the body. And that's what we're trying to replicate outside the body. Um, And the other part of our system, the other, the other aspect of our process that I think is helpful for people to understand is that in our system, the cells themselves actually exclude that cell culture media from the product. And so the cell culture media, just like they do in the body, the cell culture media doesn't actually get um, into contact with the product. And so the only molecules that are present in our product are molecules that you would expect to find in, uh, in breast milk. And now the, the complex issue there is that yes, so there are hormones in breast milk. Hormones are taken from the mother circulation into, into the breast milk, um, and actually are, have some of the important, have important bioactive effects, uh, that, that facilitate development of the infant. And so, you know, there's an open question that's for the broader community of infant nutrition, um, not just for us, but really even infant formula manufacturers are considering this issue now as well as uh, technologies emerge to allow the synthesis of of these specific bioactive molecules that are found in breast milk that perhaps you could add to infant formula to make 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 a better product. Um, so figuring out how to do that safely, how to even evaluate the safety of that, the ben- possible benefits of it. You know, we're watching all of that really carefully um, with an eye towards sort of what, what specifications do we need to uh, be able to match for our product. I am wondering what you think this technology will reveal about low milk supply and lactation issues, because I'm wondering <laughs> if you have discovered anything in all your research from a cellular level on why some people have these issues, because it seems like mm-hmm. there is very little known about it. 
Thank you so much for asking that question. That's actually become um, one of the things that's really just front and center in my mind. And I didn't realize this would be the case when we got started. I, um, but it's become really clear uh, in the last year and a half that you know lactation, human lactation in particular, is not really a well studied uh, aspect of physiology. And so there are just massive gaps in the literature. We really don't understand the biological underpinnings of human milk production. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, and so it's a, it's sort of a flawed assumption to think that, you know, every woman is going to make exactly the right amount of milk to feed, you know, her baby. There's obviously a tremendous amount of variability uh, between women and how much milk they, any, any given woman will produce, or even the same woman at different points in time in lactation. And, and it turns out that it's really sort of white space uh, to, to try to understand what the biological basis of that is. And we're in a really great position at Biomilk to be studying that and gaining some insights from that. So, um, you know, in addition to, you know, if we, we really have, if you think about it as a research tool, we have an in vitro lactation model right, <laughs> that, exactly. that is allowing us to yeah. study, you know, and we're always looking for, well, how do we, how do we improve the production? And so perhaps some of the solutions that we find are efficacious in our system um, could also be applicable in the body. And, um, and so, you know, on the horizon, those are, those those are contributions we'd hope to be able to make as well and actually um, be able to support women, um, you know, feeding milk made in their body right. as well. Right. <laughs> right. No, that's, that's, uh, that's great. Um, yeah. So uh, can you also uh, talk to us about the process of this? Like, so yeah. we have our mammary epithelial cells, yes. and medium. <laughs> so how does this all work? <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, um, you know, today what happens is we started here, um, this, a, a woman who would like to donate milk uh, to buy to bio milk for this purpose, um, wow. we'll bring us a sample or we'll pick it up from her. Uh, uh, a scientist in our lab will be responsible for, for processing those cells. Uh, we'll take the cells out of the milk, feed them a very rich broth of nutrient media, get them into culture and allow them to start doubling. So they'll start replicating and, and expanding. And, uh, the, the, then, after a certain amount of time, a certain amount of doublings, just in a, in a, in a standard cell culture, which, um, you know, maybe is not a, a meaningful <laughs> explanation to, to a lot of people, but just sort of in, in using conventional cell culture methods will expand those cells to until they reach a certain number. And when we get to a certain number, we're ready to put them into this more complex culture system, which is the, what we, uh, which is a bioreactor. So it's a, it's a system that can in accommodate just increasing, um, much, much higher numbers of cells than what you could achieve on just like you're thinking of like a, a Petri dish, a little cell culture dish, um, for, for small scale growth. And when you want to, uh, you know, the, the, the main variable that affects how much milk, uh, a culture can produce is really how many cells can you accommodate? And so these bioreactors provide a very large, uh, surface area. It's, they have a complex three-dimensional architecture uh -huh. that, uh, the cells, 
attached to. And so it's that surface area within the bioreactor that determines how many cells you can grow. And the number of cells you can grow determines how much milk you can get out. So we'll go ahead and put the cells into the bioreactor, then, you know, give them some more time to grow and expand to fill that. And then once they've reached a state where, where that unit is full, we can go ahead and shift their, their cell culture media to uh, a formulation that would have this hormone prolactin uh, to start stimulating the, the transition to turning on milk biosynthesis. Mm-hmm. And the bioreactor has, you know, it has an output uh, where we can collect and harvest samples from. And so, you know, for now we're working at a pretty small scale where every single unit we run where is for analytical purposes. And we're trying right. to analyze <laughs> and understand what's in that sample that comes out right. and how, how much does it look like breast milk? And, um, and then, convert that back into hypotheses about the next run. And so that's what the research cycle of it looks like. But we also have an engineering team who's starting to think about taking this basic process that I've described and scaling it up into uh, into a, a production scale system. So. Right, right. And so like what you're getting now, what you're producing now, um, well, I'm assuming that it's, it's very much like a breast milk, right? But you're saying that you still, are, there's still, concerns about consistency or nutritional factors or it's super complex because it turns out human milk itself is really complex and it's a really it's a very moving target in fact um it's harder i it's 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 a it's a very simple question to ask how how similar is your product to breast milk but it turns out that's a really complex answer to try to give because um human milk is uh is uh you know there there are no two samples of human milk even produced from the same woman that are molecularly identical. There is no standard of identity. There is really no definition of breast milk. Mm -hmm. Um, This is often what I ask uh, candidates who are applying to work at BioMilk as a stumper question in an interview is like, what is milk? (laughs) What do you think it is? (laughs) It's like, what's the the meaning of life? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. let's just start there. Um, No, it's really, it's a, I I like to figure out whether people think about this from a functional standpoint. So is it, it's a substance that supports the growth of a mammalian infant or from a compositional standpoint, it's a soup of all of these particular molecules and both are correct, obviously. And we think about it from both standpoints, but in order, a lot of what we're, we're spending our time on is actually studying human milk so that we can, we, we even have the right data to make a comparison of what we're making. So, you know, what I, what I, what we have reported and what I, what makes me so encouraged and enthusiastic about what we've been able to do so far is that, you know, every time we send a sample through uh, through an analysis, we find um, just a, a complex array of molecules which also appear in breast milk. Right, okay, <laughs> so, right, gotcha. so, but under, but you know, it's so, there's so many thousands of molecules to consider. Yeah. And, um, and so in, in, at the same time that we're, we're creating our product, we're, um, we're also side-by-side analyzing breast milk um, and trying to understand that from a much better perspective as well. And so we can sort of make sense of what it is we're making and what we, what we can and can't 
say about it. <laughs> right. So are you, you are, so I'm assuming that you're running some like probably parallel kind of clinical yeah. studies, right. On, on just examining many different samples of breast milk and just trying to find maybe factors that are similar yeah. and yeah. factors that are much more uh, dissimilar between the different uh, patient samples. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and I would say, you know, we're not, so yeah, we're not, we're not, I want to be clear that we're not running clinical studies in the sense that we're not producing product that's being fed to oh, yeah, any, no, any human yeah. babies. I just meant in terms of understanding yeah. breast milk. Let's, exactly. Let's not even, let's not even yeah. say what you're producing right now, but let's understand yeah. breast milk so that you have yes. something to work towards or compare your product against. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems, it turns out that like, you know, every time somebody comes up with a new bioanalytical method for breast milk, we find more things that are in it. Oh, and, okay. and, and then there's a whole other thread of research around like, well, what of those components are associated with what outcomes for, for development or, or health for an infant. And, and so, you know, there's a lot of complex uh, uh, research to be done, which is why, you know, we're, we're, we're an early stage technology yeah. at the beginning of what's going to be a long arc, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the milk that you guys are producing in your lab, are you finding that it's a consistent composition? I mean, I'm assuming that's the goal from like a FDA standpoint, right? Yeah, that's the goal. And that's interesting because that's different from breast milk, right? Breast milk is not a consistent composition, right? right? It's inherently variable. And so, you know, we're, we're always, we, one of the things I really like to emphasize it, it just for clarity for people who are thinking about this for the first time is like what ways I, I would never refer to our product as breast milk. Um, I always refer to it as, as cell cultured human milk, but that's a moving okay. target as well. A few, yeah. <laughs> a few months from now, we may call it something different, yeah, but right, yeah. I feel like that's the most accurate way to describe it. Right. And, um, and then a marketing team's going to come in and say, you have to say <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, I, so I, but it, I'd like to be clear that, you know, what are the things, what are the ways that it's like breast milk and what are the ways that it's not like breast milk? And we already touched on the antibodies. That's something yeah. that we, will be different from breast milk. And really the dynamics and the variability of breast milk um, is another thing that I, that we won't replicate and really actually want to stabilize yeah. <laughs> so that we can meet specific, you know, specifications um, and have batch to batch consistency. And uh, just for a commercial product, you really do need to get to where you have a standardized, uh, a standardized product. And so that is also an inherent different from breast milk. Okay. So, you know, where you are right now, I know we're in the research phase, right? Um, When do you expect, do you think that you might see a commercialization phase or when you would be able to, I I guess, what what is your projected timeline, right? To to get to the public? I mean, that's, and that's such a hard question when you're in the (laughs) R&D phase, but like, it's a hard, yeah, it's a hard question because our progress right now is not linear, right? It's like, we're, we're moving so quickly and then little, you know, one day, you know, big, a big jump will happen. And then six months and we'll be banging our heads against the wall. So, so, you know, it's, it's hard to predict, but nonetheless, you know, over the last 18 months, we are making steady progress towards uh, the milestones that we see need Mm -hmm. to be met in order to launch a product. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, based on, on the progress we've made so far, I think we estimate, you know, the, the most generously that we could possibly commercialize a product would be probably three to five years. Um, And that's probably a pretty, um, you know, just uh, 
sort of small launch and then ex- expanding beyond that over, over following years. And so, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's actually pretty good though, considering yeah. that's such a large undertaking anyway, right. You know, <laughs> yeah. so I think that's, uh, I think that would be amazing if you, uh, were able to, to get to that phase in, in three to five years, that would be uh, amazing. Yeah. So do you have, like you said, you mentioned you work, you were working with Duke university, right. As a, as sort of, and so do you have, um, more than one institution or, or people that kind of help you yeah. run some of these studies in order to kind of help facilitate the process. Yeah. 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 I mean, for now we're working with a lab at Duke, just on a protocol for acquiring these tissues. Okay. Um, but we also use uh, a variety of academic and commercial labs for product analysis. So a lot okay. of the bioanalytical work on the product is done um, externally to biomilk. We don't have uh, all, all of the sophisticated bioanalytical equipment. We're really mm-hmm. specialized in, in the cell biology of this. And so mm-hmm. the biochemistry is something that we've partnered with, with other folks folks for people who are really experts in human milk and, and also in these, these sophisticated analysis methods. And so, yeah, we, we've got, we've got groups all over the place that we (laughs) send, send samples to and see what they find. Yeah. Yeah. Aside from the really, I think, you know, I could talk about the cells and the biology of this all day, but that's, that's definitely my intellectual bread and butter, but, um, What's been really just um, wonderful for me about the journey that we've been on and and the the experience we're having of of starting this company is just thinking about um, innovating the the workplace actually like biomilk is you know we're we're a company that I think is is focused on a product that really um, changes the prospects for for women who are at this stage in their careers where they are. Um, uh, you know, women often be, are becoming mothers at that transitional yeah. point in their career, an early stage in their career where they're getting off, getting off the ground professionally, and then also grappling with, with the challenges of new motherhood. And, you know, I think the statistics bear out that this uh, intersection of these two major uh, times in life does contribute to um, wage gaps that are then perpetuated and propagated throughout your career. It's like if you are are trying to compete with with um, with men at this stage of life or other people babies um it's it's very difficult to keep pace and uh so anyway i think that it, with biomilks is sort of uh focused on a product that um that can i think at least have a, a major use case in that situation and help women um at that moment in their life um i think that we think a lot about what does it mean for the women who work at biomilk? You know, we don't have this product yet. Right. Uh, it doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Uh, but we're a place where I'm really proud. We have uh, brought um, a lot of mom, new moms into the company. A lot of, a lot of women find us and apply and are really interested in working for us because they're committed and passionate about what we're trying to do because they themselves are in this moment and, and challenged, you know? Um, so we have just a brilliant team of scientists and um, and a number of of them and our our new parents and uh, and doing this really with a lot of passion and we my partner I credit Michelle a lot as well um, f- for really being thoughtful about how to create a company that is a different type of workplace how do we set a different model of leadership that really um, views people holistically and comprehensively and takes mm-hmm. into account the complexities of everybody's lives right. and um, so that 
that's so I feel like there's 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 something to be said around just um, uh, setting a new model for what what work looks like. And um, that's something that BioMilk is trying to be that that model. So whatever happens with our with our product launch and our technology, you know, we hope that we're creating um, a different kind of professional model for people. Well, I think that's wonderful. Like, you know, this wonderful philosophy to have. And, you know, I, I'm an orthopedic surgeon and, you know, like yeah. 5% of, <laughs> of of orthopedic surgeons are women, right? So it was never yes. really a supportive environment. And, you know, you many points along the way, you know, even the idea of having a family is not as encouraged or, or even when you're taking the time off. And I I remember, you know, when we were, this was like back in probably 2007, you know, when you're doing your interviews to get into the programs, right. Yeah. Uh, The questions are not allowed to ask you, but they will ask you. (laughs) They they still do. Yeah. What's going to happen if you get pregnant. Right. So that's like, question again, you're gone for that period of time. And, Mm -hmm. and it was always a stressful, like I know for all the girls, it was always like, you had to have like some sort of answer prepared because Mm -hmm. because this was one thing that you knew was a little bit of a knock against you. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and this was the most unhealthy thing that I saw this one example of uh, somebody, I, I obviously, I won't mention her name, but she literally brought in imaging to show, cause she had a hysterectomy for some other reason, but she oh. goes, I won't be a problem. But then, but I wow. felt so bad when I heard that because she felt it was necessary to prove to them yeah. that she should be accepted into the yeah. program program because wow. I've had a history. Yeah. So I, you know, so again, I, like one of the things that, <laughs> you know, um, I, I think would be great across the board. And I love that you're doing that at Biomilk is like, yeah, look at, look at supporting women, yeah. but just view everybody's life holistically yes. that, I mean, the more that we're able to enjoy our lives as a whole and, yes. and be, um, you know, be, um, I, yeah, be happy. I mean, we're going yeah. to just give more, we're going to be more productive, you know, and I, and I, I think that is a wonderful philosophy to have. And I think yeah. a lot, I think the culture is changing a little bit more now, like mm-hmm. how I see things, you know, with, um, with other women. And there's a lot of women who are starting companies who are yeah. founders. Like I am a founder of a company. Yes. So I'm like, you know, and it's like fantastic. Cause you feel empowered, but you're allowed yep. to now grow this yeah. with a different type of vision and not the vision that was always expected of yeah. you. Absolutely. And yeah. as women, we ha- and as leaders, we ha- I think it's so important to be aware of this and to hold ourselves accountable to those higher standards. You know, there's a lot of pressure. Um, you know, now we're a women-led company competing with a bunch of male-led <laughs> companies for funding and for whatever attention and whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we we have to really lean into, um, you know, the these these are what our values are. This is what we think is important. You know, the the World Health Organization, the, the CDC, the American Academy of Pediatrics, all there's, you know, consensus tells us that it, exclusive breastfeeding is what is is the ideal food for a baby for the first six months of life and really the modern workplace makes that pretty unrealistic mm-hmm. um, for for most moms who are wanting to uh, to work outside the home and so um, 
you know, at Biomilk, it's important to us that we get, we rolled out a policy this year. We reached this a point where we have enough, enough people in our payroll that we can um, have a policy for parental leave where, where um, a primary caregiver would get four months of fully paid leave and then a transitional period back part-time um, to get her through that six months, if that's what she wants to pursue. So, you know, we, we just couldn't feel right about, um, about, <laughs> having policies that, that, that make it possible to achieve the, the recommended clinical guidelines for nutrition. (laughs) That's amazing. Thank you for doing that. Hopefully other companies will follow your lead. (laughs) I hope so too. Yeah, I hope so too. And that's why I like to talk about it is, is to, um, you know, let, let prospective employees know, you know, ask for more, demand more. Um, it's so hard to be in that position. And, and to, but the more that we do, the more companies get the message that if we want top talent, then we need to see people as whole human beings. I think that's great. And I think, you know, again, if I think the more you you speak out about it and the more of us that speak out about yeah. it, like the, the better the chance that we're going to be able to actually create that scenario for yes. ourselves in the future. So yeah, I think, you know, we've come to the end here. I, I love what you're doing. I, you. I, I think this is such an innovative idea and I, I have no doubt that you guys will succeed because <laughs> I, I, you know, I just, I, I think the, I think the vision's there, the need is there, you know, and so um, you'll you'll find the right formula, I'm sure. Thank you so much. I appreciate <laughs> okay. the support. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, thank you for your time today. Um, Fascinating. Thank you yeah. so much. You guys are really doing amazing things and it's a big undertaking. So wonderful. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Keep in touch. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. This show is produced by Carmel Sound Lab, and for more information, go to carmelsoundlab.com.